Is that right, Jill? Yeah. So, okay, so now um, we're recording and off we're going. Um, notices. One, from Jill. Please mute yourself. Got that. Two, house group is tomorrow at 8.15 on Zoom, being led and run by Fiona. Fiona, is that right? Yeah, Fiona's got that. Everyone who attended um, or apologised, I always like that phrase for meetings, you apologise, you know, <laughs> I've apologised for turning up. Um, at the church council meeting last Thursday, we received the minutes. They're on the way. The main points are, there won't be a physical carol service to celebrate Christmas, uh, but we will meet on Zoom, yay, including Christmas morning. It's hoped that physical services will alternate fortnightly with Zoom from January. But we will need teams of people to make this happen. It's not easy to do. So if you would like to uh, volunteer to help make that happen, I'm sure John would be very grateful for anybody who comes along and says yes, even if it's just direct people in one direction. Um, it's all very helpful. The four teaching things for Sunday mornings were announced. These will be uh, described in a Tuesday email. And next week we're taking communion together. So please uh, remember to have the elements together. So having said that, if I can make this work, we'll have a...
sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul. session just to give you a song's notice. Okay? Thanks, Alex. The reading is 2 Corinthians 11, one, one, verses 1 through to 7. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel, from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? That's it. Right, well, we're going to be looking at the, the grace in a minute. And the reason why I wanted that reading is because it's in 2 Corinthians and it shows the humanity of Paul. Sometimes we put leaders on pedestals. And I think one of the things that's coming through for me in doing these little talks at the moment is that we're all human. And one of the great things about 2 Corinthians is it's where Paul really pours his heart out and says, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a poor guy like you making mistakes. But we'll come to that later on. Let's go to the next um, hymn and then uh, Youngju, if you do the intercession.
forsaken by a traitor's kiss. The curse of sin and centuries did his lowly prince of peace. Lifted high the sinless man, crucified the spotless lamb, buried by the sons of man. Creator and Lord of all the earth. He is worthy to be praised. Altogether, you are so beautiful and mighty. All the creation bow down before you, and you are truly the King upon all the kings. We pray that please help people in the world to go back before you and turn back from their sin and selfishness. And please let people saved by your amazing saving grace by Jesus. Your only son. We pray that this COVID-19 and all that after effect over societies to be dealt by your mercy and grace. Please forgive our sin and ignorance of you, Lord God. We pray that have mercy upon America, that the new president of America will be godly person to be elected to uh, govern this country come back to you and be able to, yeah, Lord God, uh, you are the king of this America, Lord God. Please help this election, Lord God, in your way. Also, we pray that those who are suffering, Lord, will be saved, uh, especially for Yemen, Lord. We lift up Yemen and their crisis and people suffering hunger, and uh, all this calamity over them, Lord God. Lord, God, have a mercy upon this country and please provide their basic life supplies. Lord, please use our church to shine the light in this area of, uh, yeah, also helping Yemen and praying for Yemen to be able to, uh, yeah, saved, Lord. And also, yeah, Lord God, we pray for also universities and then their students in there. As the COVID is rising uh, rapidly, Father, in the university, Father, give our uh, yeah young adults in university to have a be able to self-discipline and uh, have a wisdom not to spread this COVID-19 for each other, but Lord, and also Father, have mercy on them. Uh, yeah, that uh, they could have a uh, yeah healthy uh, campus life, Father, and also uh, be able to yeah endure this time uh, of COVID-19. Lord God, also give the uh, yeah leaders in the universities give them wisdom how to Lord uh, yeah help this young yeah university students uh, to 
Yang study and also uh, keep their friendship or yeah, and then academical uh, help as well. Lord, we also thank you for NCF and our fellowship in the faith. Please, uh, yeah, help our uh, faith to be uh, increased through our fellowship and let us be filled with your Holy Spirit and strengthen us. Uh, also be able to shine light to those who don't know you, those in need. And we thank you for John and Jill. Uh, yeah, as uh, they are creative and enthusiastic leaders and uh, yeah, inspiring. We pray that uh, strengthen them and provide them in your abundance and pro uh, yeah, provisions and that protect protect them, Father, in you spiritually and uh, yeah, physically, Lord. And also we pray that our uh, elderly members in NCF also continuously protect them from COVID and then their families too. And also we pray that Katie, uh, yeah, to be healed and uh, well, Father, uh, and day by day, Lord God. And yeah, we pray for also Susan and David and Ian and Grace as they have a, a yeah, new newly married life. Father, let them be really blessed and then being in unity uh, in your spirit and being strong. Uh, yeah, strengthen each other, Father, in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
John's asked us to look at prayer. Now, for me, all prayer starts and finishes with the Lord's Prayer, which is what Jesus gave us to teach us all how to pray. But that's not the only prayer in the Bible. Um, although I think all prayers should be measured against the Lord's Prayer, there are other places to look. What we're going to look at is commonly known as the grace. We, we often say it at the end of the meeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Is that a prayer? It's not asking for anything. It's not making any declaration. But it is a prayer because prayer is simply talking to God. Sometimes we make it too complicated. We, we try and um, make it demanding. It's, sometimes it's just a simple fellowship with God. But like everything else, when we look at anything from the Bible, context is everything. We need to see this prayer in the context with which it was written to make sense of it. The context is the end of 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a slightly different letter than most of the other epistles in the New Testament. It's a very personal letter. It's the letter in which Paul shows more of himself and who he is and what his struggles are. It comes in the context of letters written to a group of Christians in a Greek port town called Corinth. Now, there have been a number of letters. Uh, we have two of them in the New Testament, but they're not the only two. First of all, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians in his letter back, these are the matters by which you wrote to me. Uh, we know from other writings of about that time that there was a, at least another one letter called 3 Corinthians, which isn't in the scriptures, but it exists. So there was, we learned a lot of uh, backwards and froing, toing and froing between Paul and this group. What is interesting about this group is that it was pretty much just a normal church or a normal group of people. It wasn't in any particular difficulties. It wasn't under any particular persecution, like some of the letters are written to churches who are suffering uh, greatly, others written to churches with particular problems. The, the point about Corinth is it didn't have any particular problem. It was quite a wide group of people. Some were quite wealthy. Others appeared to be slaves. And this was its problem. Its problem was that it was quite a broad, if you can use the word church or group of people, coming together as a Christian fellowship and struggling with the difficulties that gave them. And so they write to Paul about a lot of these difficulties. And Paul really sets quite a, a high moral standard for them. And they, of course, don't keep to this and they fail. And Paul writes to tell them off and he writes how writes to them to tell them how to do things. Um, and the second letter, which is the one that the this prayer is at the end of, is really Paul mending bridges. He sort of told them off a bit and is writing back to say, look, I'm a human being as well. I make mistakes. In the reading, we heard some of Paul's heart uh, coming out that he, he has his own struggles as well. He's not perfect. Uh, but nevertheless, what he said still stands. And what he says is we have to live to a certain standard that God requires of us. And not all you Corinthians are doing that. And you need to adjust and change your ways. That, that's the gist of the letter. Um, 2 Corinthians, he's building bridges. But at the end of 2 Corinthians, we have this last chapter. He still doesn't pull any punches. He's still pretty well um, holding his line. Let's, let's listen to some of the last uh, part of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. So he's been to them three times, which is quite a journey for him to make. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So we know there is conflict amongst them. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now, whilst absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. So there's still difficulties going on. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. So we have this 
conflict going on about being good or, or being godly, being Christian, and, and the difficulties this is bringing them. If we come to the end of the letter, we, we have this bit uh, in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. So that implies there are some who are needing encouragement to rejoice. Aim for restoration. So we can guess there must still be some division. Comfort one another. So we must imply some people are hurting. Agree with one another. So we must imply some people are not agreeing with each other. Live in peace. We can imply some people are in confrontation. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And he says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, the actual Greek word for holy kiss is based on the, the word for brotherly love. So we could paraphrase that by saying, greet one another with a brotherly loveism. So he's encouraging them to come together. And then he finishes with this grace. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So Paul sums up the whole of his second letter to Corinthians in which he's trying to build bridges with this one statement. In which he causes, causes us to look at God. And he's causing us to look at the Trinity of God. Yes, Um but we can make far too much of this last statement. It's really quite simple. And we're going to look at it in the second part of this talk now. What I want to do in this first part is just call us to, to our attention that this is Paul writing to a group of people who are not in extraordinary difficulties, but have human conflicts, human human difficulties going on amongst them. And some of these are quite severe and, and we can read between the lines that some of the things that have gone wrong have been quite serious. But Paul is calling them to come back to fellowship with each other and to support each other. And his final call is to give them the methods by which they can do this.
may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, we've all said that many times and we've heard it said at the end of meetings and the end of services. In the Greek, it doesn't contain a verb. The verb here is be. The Greek doesn't actually need a verb to keep the meaning, but the implication is that this is a phrase, a formula that was used at the end of services or uh, meetings quite regularly, exactly the same as the way we do it today. So it was a, probably a set phrase. We read it as first translated to us by the King James Bible. The King James always produced wonderful poetry and lovely syntax. And this is to our great advantage, and I have no complaint whatsoever. However, it does tend to mean that sometimes we can meet, we can miss the, the simplicity or even the sort of just down-to-worthness of the original Greek. And this is not a complicated phrase in Greek. It's, it's quite easy to translate and quite easy to see what it means. And the lack of the verb tends to imply that it was formulaic. It hangs on three words, the word grace, the word love and the word fellowship. Three words that we use regularly in a theological context and love to go into and see great meaning in them. However, that's not always the case. Sometimes they can be read just on their face value. The Greek word for grace here is the word charis. Now, Paul unquestionably uses the word charis in his writings to bring great theological meaning. But Paul is probably the only person who uses charis in that way. The traditional Greek writers use the word charis to imply just joy, just fun, just happiness, on many occasions. So we might, this on this occasion, take the word grace or word charis to just mean that. If I was to paraphrase this into simple English to make it sound a little bit more like it may have sounded to the Greeks of the day, would sound something like, and Jesus's joy and God's love and the Spirit's fellowship be with you. Simple as that. Jesus's joy. So without going into any further than that, sometimes it's worth just to sit down and think, what joy does Jesus give us? Why do we have joy from what Jesus has given us? And we come to the next one, of course, the love of God. And the word for love here is agape, which is a word we know well, in which it implies as much a duty as it does an emotion, a determination. I want to just uh, take your minds to a slightly different place now. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts off with our Father in heaven, our Father in the sky, our Father. Uh, the implication is there in creation. It encourages to look at the greatness and the wonder of God. And when we look at this phrase, the love of God, God's agape, God's love for us, it's probably a good thing that we can consider a little bit about the nature of God. Now, without going too far into too many things uh, now and start looking at all sorts of physics, one of the problems for modern day physicists is the attempt to try and escape infinity. Uh, however which way they do it, whether they start with quantum mechanics, which is the very small getting bigger, or they start with relativity, which is the very big getting smaller, it's difficult to escape this concept of infinity. Now, if you think about it, infinity has a whole load of very, very weird and strange thoughts going with it. If either the universe is infinite or there is an infinite number of universes, depending on how you want to look at it, both could be true. Those of you who know the Big Bang Theory know that Sheldon Cooper 
the character in the Big Bang Theory uh, believes, uh, likes to like the idea of uh, multiple infinite universes. That means every chance must occur somewhere. That means that somewhere there is a planet exactly the same as the planet Earth with a person exactly the same as me sitting here saying exactly these same words purely on chance because every chance must exist. And there's a planet in which at this precise point the individual that is me changes his words and says something different. Your mind can go nuts when you start thinking about these things, but this is one of the, the challenges of the idea of infinity. Now, if we just apply ourselves to our understanding of God, God made exist, God made everything that exists. So if God loves you, he, he knows an infinite number of versions of you and an infinite number of ways that you can be. Now bring this up just to remind us of how big God is. Yesterday I was tidying my room up here and there was a fly in my room. Uh, it was slightly annoying me so I dispatched it. Who um, mainly in quickly but I dispatched it and thought nothing of it. If you get a microscope and you look at a fly, you can just see how complicated it is and how wondrous it is. And it, it's quite a, a, an amazing thing that I just dispatched it because the gap between me and the fly is, I would have thought, fairly inconsiderable. And uh, it annoyed me and so I got rid of it. God is looking at an infinite number of you, according to physics, or possibly according to physics, and the gap between you and God is slightly larger than that between me and a fly. The gap between me and a fly is big, but it's not infinite. The gap between you and God is infinite. Uh, this might tease your mind, you might wonder why I'm saying this, but what I'm saying it is to try and give us an idea just how big God is, how immense God is. If God created the universe, he created this universe, this universe full of wonders and concerns and things that we just simply can't understand. Our minds cannot comprehend what God has made. And yet God knows you. And yet God has a love, an agape, for you. He has a concern and a duty that he has put upon himself to care for and know you. He will look after you, not just now, but into his infinity, into his eternity. He will know you. This is the nature of his love. So this prayer that we pray when it says, Jesus's joy be with us. And let's meditate and think about God's love for us. Just look at it in that way. How immense God is. And yet he cares for you. The last one is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or let the Spirit's fellowship be with us. The Greek word here is koinonia. And in classical Greek, this has a fairly clear but wide meaning. Koinonia is not just receiving, it's the receiving and giving, it's, it's the being with other people in which there is a communion or a sharing, a joint sharing, you give and you receive. It's that being in a fellowship of people where this is going on. Uh, it can be applied to a nation, it can be applied to a family, it can be applied to friendships. But the implication is both giving and taking, a sharing, a oneness, a wholeness, a being together. That's the meaning of the word koinonia. And koinonia with the Holy Spirit. Again, let's think of the Holy Spirit as we've just got and see how immense uh, the Holy Spirit is. And yet the Holy Spirit is here to share a koinonia with us, a fellowship with us, a giving and a sharing. We receive and we, we communicate with the Holy Spirit.
so this whole this whole phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, is implying an amazing uh, something outside of our minds which we just can't get hold of. Oneness of God, and yet the God who is sharing koinonia with us in the Spirit, are giving and sharing a fellowship. He has a committed love for us, although he is immense. And he brings us joy, fun, fellowship in the person of Jesus. And how does Jesus bring us that joy? Well, it's all to do with our acceptance, which we have in Jesus from the forgiveness of our sins or the healing of our weaknesses. His presence to encourage us in worship our security in knowing that we're in God's hands. Our wonderful gift to be able to look into our future eternities without fear or concern, knowing that we're just like a butterfly going through a chrysalis and, well, sorry, a caterpillar going through a chrysalis and coming out as a butterfly. That's what death is. It just takes us back into God's dimension. So when Paul comes to address these lovely people in 2 Corinthians, who are just like us, really, and their town is perhaps one of the closest in the New Testament to a modern day, uh, modern city, full of different people with different backgrounds, some very wealthy, some very poor, certainly full of inadequacies, certainly full of unfairness. Uh, but also being quite wealthy and uh, quite uh, stretching out over the whole of the world and the known world as it was a big port city. Not unlike us and full of people not unlike us, squabbling, fighting amongst themselves, looking for different statuses, trying to be uh, more than they are and, uh, and not perhaps being as fair as they could be to each other. That's all going on in Corinth. For Paul's final comment to them at the end of this letter, which is he's written to bring reconciliation both between him and them and them and each other. These are the thoughts that he asks us to think about. Think about the joy that Jesus has given you. Think about the love that an eternal, immense, beyond comprehension God has for you. And think about the experience of the sharing of ourselves, one with another, the sharing with the Holy Spirit, the sharing in the fellowship of our church that God has provided for us. Just think about those things and in doing so, adjust our lives to the balanced Christian gospel-based values that God has for us.
Amen. 